That was Winnipeg Mayor Scott Gillingham and Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson announcing they are pausing all activity at the landfill where they believe the bodies of at least two victims may be. We will come back to this story a little later on in the show. To the other big story that we're following, the political fallout from the RCMP contract that prompted national security concerns. CTV News has confirmed the RCMP suspended the Sinclair Technologies contract for radio communications equipment. Sinclair is based in Ontario, but since 2017, its parent company has been owned by Chinese firm Hytera. Earlier this year, the U.S. Department of Justice revealed Hytera faces 21 charges related to conspiracy to commit theft of trade secrets in an unsealed indictment. That information was made publicly available in early February of this year. So why are the contracts awarded at all? Well, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie commented today saying she was upset the contract was awarded at all and that the decision was made by independent public service. Don't forget, Sinclair Technologies has been awarded other contracts as well. So should those also be suspended? Let's bring in our panel of MPs to discuss this. Joining me right now is Liberal MP Francisco Sobrera, Conservative Foreign Affairs critic Michael Chong, and NDP caucus chair Jenny Kwan. Thank you all for making the time. Mr. Sobrera, the RCMP has suspended this radio supply contract with Sinclair Technologies, but the government does have other contracts. What will happen to those? So thank you for the question, Mike. Let me first start by saying any notion of foreign interference here in Canada with regards to any of our institutions, democratic or non-democratic, obviously are treated with the utmost seriousness and sensitivity. Uh, And second of all, you know, any interference with our our democratic institutions, again, treated with the utmost uh, security, sensitivity and and seriousness. Uh, It was obviously a great first step for the RCMP to announce uh, and a prudent step to announce uh, the suspension of these uh, contracts, uh, of this this contract with Mm -hmm. uh, Sinclair Technologies. There is going to be an an investigation uh, underway in terms of the integrity of the infrastructure. And I'll leave it for the RCMP to announce uh, for further uh, decisions that they will make. Mm-hmm. They're an independent uh, agency of the, of the government. Uh, but what's important to stay is, you know, is, is to say is, you know, we as a government, obviously, uh, we, the, our agencies have the tools and resources in place to deal with these threats, to deal with issues that arise. Obviously, an issue has arisen. The RCMP has, has acted. Of course, I agree with Minister Jolie in terms of being upset, in terms of the contract being awarded. Uh, and we need to obviously analyze why it was awarded and uh, ensure that any sort of foreign interference or any actions by any bad foreign actors, I'm not saying this was or wasn't, right. but any sort of notion that this could happen, that we need to uh, do an analysis of such. Mr. Chong, is that good enough for you? But also, what about that answer from Minister Jolie essentially blaming it on the public service? Well, I think the government's completely at this, asleep at the switch on national security. The fact of the matter is that Hytera should never have been allowed to take over the parent company of Sinclair without a national security review in 2017. We expressed grave concerns at the time, as did many other national security experts, including the former head of CSIS, Dick Fadden. Uh, Subsequent to that, last year, the Government Operations and Estimates Committee issued a recommendation to the government saying that no contracts should ever be given to any state-owned or partially state-owned enterprise in the People's Republic of China, which is exactly what happened in this instance. And so the government has ignored two sets of recommendations from experts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we find ourselves here today with the government trying to play catch up 
to protect our national security. I think it's completely unacceptable. Ms. Quinn, I wanted you to weigh in on this, but also the fact that yesterday we saw uh, François-Philippe Champagne coming up with this new sort of uh, legislation to potentially prevent something like this. So are you worried that we've closed the barn door after the horses have left? Well, it seems to me that this is a repeat of the history. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is we had a situation with our visa centers uh, where they, their contract was up for renewal. And the company also was, uh, in fact, the subsidiary of the company was owned by, by the Beijing police. Now, this was a continuation from the um, Harper administration. The conservatives actually made those awards, award and then it continued on. And here we are again in this instance is even more serious because we're actually talking about our national security. There should have been red flags all over over the place. How did this happen? And why does it continue to happen all the time? And so my question here is uh, really for the government to ensure that there is complete transparency with respect to that. There should always be security checks uh, for these kinds of contracts. And if you think about it, the Canadian government rejected Huawei. It took forever for them to get right. there, but it, you know they it rejected it then. Why would these kinds of contracts sort of go without any checking uh, and, and for it to sort of go through like that? And that puts us, I think, at grave risks. And Canada should not be exposed in that way at all. Before I go back to you, Mr. Sobrera, I want to go to Mr. Chong. Now, uh, Ms. Kwan there brought up that saying this is success of governments. We also remember, if I'm not mistaken, it was back in 2012 under the Harper um, government. And if I'm not mistaken, you were part of that government where that CNOC deal uh, was allowed to go through. So, I mean, is there something to be said there for what you're saying? I mean, I know that, the, you know, you're saying that the, the liberals um, sort of, you know, haven't been minding the shop here. But at the same time, what happened when you were in government? Well, quite simply, the China of 2012 is not the China of 2022. China has changed. President Xi came to power in 2012. And at the time, there was still a great deal of optimism that China would bring itself into the international rules-based order, improve its record on human rights, democracy, and the rule of law. Unfortunately, we now know that in the past five, six years, the opposite has happened. So uh, I think that was a different context that that decision was made in than the context of the last five years. And so I think the Trudeau government needs to explain a lot about how this was allowed to happen. uh, you know, a, a House of Commons Standing Committee last year recommended that the government not enter into these contracts. Five years ago, we as a conservative opposition, along with national security experts, advised the government against allowing Hytera to take over the parent company of Sinclair. Both of these things happened. And now we find ourselves today with a government that's scrambling to reverse this decision. They haven't canceled the contract. They've simply suspended it. Right. They need to cancel these contracts and protect our national security. Before we go to Ms. Kwan, get Mr. Sobrera to respond. Well, first off, look, we, uh, Minister Jolie laid out an Indo-Pacific strategy which uh, identifies China and agreeing with Mr. Uh, Mr. Chong in terms of the China of today is different than the China mm-hmm. in the past and our relationship with China where we need to challenge, we need to collaborate, we need to compete with, and we do need to challenge. Here is a situation which has arisen. Uh, the RCMP has taken the first step, suspended the contract, with uh, the Sinclair Technologies. It's under investigation. We'll let that process run out. It'll be irresponsible for any of us to comment on that, uh, on what the RCMP is doing. We as a government, we know that the 
the contract was awarded following all protocols. If we need to go back as a government and review those protocols, ensuring that further contracts are not awarded, and with this entity or any other entity that we've identified, uh, could be a, a subject to foreign interference, mm -hmm. could be a foreign uh, a bad actor, if you could use that term, then necessary to do so. Our national security is of paramount importance for any government. Our government takes it very seriously. Uh, seriously, we're acting, Bill 26, Bill 76, that we've passed. Uh, have closed many, many gaps that pre-existed during, during the, the Harper administration. We'll continue to be there, protect the integrity of our institutions, democratic, non-democratic, and ensure the safety and security of all Canadians. Ms. Kwan, your turn. Well, here. I would say this. Uh, while it's true that the uh, that China is different uh, when it was 2012 than it is today, but notwithstanding, it does not excuse any government to not do their due diligence. You would think that at the very basic minimum is to check to ensure that Canada is protected, our security uh, is not compromised. Uh, and frankly, in this instance, both the Liberals and the Conservatives failed Canadians in that regard. So uh, you would think that going forward, one would have learned about this and to ensure that that kind of security checks is always in place with our procurement practices. You know, we have the same thing, uh, you know, going back to our immigration visa centers in China, same thing. The government did not do their due diligence. They were actually completely at a loss mm -hmm. uh, as though they didn't even realize that those subs subsidiary companies was owned by the uh, Beijing police. That to me is absolutely shocking. Shocking. And again, that started with the Conservatives and then get carried on with the, with the Liberals. And so here we are repeating history. Uh, and I think that in this instance, uh, the situation is even more heightened. So going forward, we must learn from these kind of mistakes. It cannot be allowed uh, to happen. In this is instance, we're talking about China, uh, but it could be, you know, any other country that right. could potentially compromise Canada's security. Jenny Kwan. Michael Chong, Francis, Francisco Sobrero, thank you all for joining us. We appreciate it. I'm sure there will be more on this story. Coming up, the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs are calling for the Winnipeg Police Chief's ouster. We speak to Long Plain First Nation Chief Kyra Wilson next here on Power Play. Well, the federal government's marquee $10 a day child care program is getting a little extra protection. The Liberals tabled Bill C-35 today. Now they say it's to enshrine the program in law, but what it really does is add a legislative roadblock for any future government that might want to scrap it. In 2021, the Conservatives campaigned on ditching all deals with the provinces and territories, replacing it with tax credits for parents. The federal plan that's in place right now is expected to reduce daycare costs to an average of $10 a day by the year 2026. Now, tabling this bill before the end of the year also checks a box on that Liberal NDP supply and confidence agreement. So is this really about protecting the program or is it just a political play for the next election campaign? Joining me now to talk more about this is Minister of Families, Children and Social Development, Karina Gould. Thank you for being here. Um, I wanted you to talk to me a little bit about what we're doing today. Is this really, uh, what about this bill protects the affordability of childcare, but also the whole program? Mm -hmm. 
Mm, absolutely. So this is about protecting the program, and it's about enshrining in law the federal government's financial commitment to ensuring that we have an affordable, accessible, high-quality, inclusive childcare program right across the country. So over the past year and a half, we have signed agreements with all 13 provinces and territories. We're already seeing in the majority of provinces and territories across the country that Fees have been reduced by almost 50% from coast to coast mm -hmm. to coast. Parents are seeing these savings in real dollars. I've had amazing conversations with families across this country. But we also know that the Conservatives campaigned, as you said, in the last election on scrapping this program. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, they did that in 2006 um, after Paul Martin had negotiated childcare agreements with every province and territory. Yeah. The first thing Stephen Harper did was said, we're not going to follow through with this initiative. So, you know, we need to protect what we have built. And most importantly, we need to make sure that we can give families certainty that they know that the cost of childcare will be affordable into the future. That's hugely important for their financial planning. So does that mean, given what you said about making sure that you sort of protect it from other governments, are you also purposely here putting a legislative landmine for any future government that may want to undo it? Well, I mean, it will be, I think, very difficult for a future government to say to Canadians, we don't believe in affordable childcare and we're going to take this away from you. So we want to make it as hard as possible for a future government to scrap this program and quite frankly to leave families in a very difficult financial position. Sounds like a yes to my question then. <laughs> it is a legislative landmine. Well, it's a it's you know, when you put something in law, you're doing that because you want to protect it right. because you want it to continue. Laws are evergreen, right? We can't change, stop someone from changing the law. But if a conservative government or a future government wanted to do that, they would have to tell Canadians that they are taking away their affordable childcare. They can't hide it and they would have to go through Parliament. Going forward, though, to keep it affordable, I mean, we know that Canadians are dealing with an inflationary crisis. We don't know where that's going. But how do you make sure that this program stays affordable and in that $10 a day range? Yeah, so we designed this program specifically to try and get to $10 a day by the end, by 25, 26. We're already seeing the first milestone of reducing fees by 50% at, you know, coming into fruition this year, right? Mm -hmm. I was in Richmond, BC on Friday. I was in the Annapolis Valley on Monday of last week. And both BC and Nova Scotia, amongst many other provinces and territories, have hit that milestone. Now, provinces and territories have until 25, 26 within our agreements to reach $10 a day. I think we're going to continue to see reductions over the next couple of years to hit that milestone. Um, and then we're going to keep going in that path. But provinces can opt out. And what we're seeing in Alberta right now is them trying to really sort of make clear lanes on what their uh, jurisdiction is versus yours. How concerned are you protecting parents against sort of election cycles for any government, that provincial or territorial government, that wants to come in and do away with this deal? Well, look, uh, we have something called the rule of law in this country. The provinces and territories have signed agreements with the federal government for five years. They're contractually obliged to follow those agreements for the duration of that time. And there are penalties, time. if I'm not mistaken. And there are penalties within those agreements should they not meet their targets. And remember, the provinces and territories um, put forward their own plans to meet those objectives mm -hmm. and those targets. So they have some accountability, they have a lot of accountability in this to their own citizens to explain to them why they're unable to meet the plans that they have put forward. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I do want to say I actually have a really good working relationship with all of my ministerial counterparts across the country. And to date, what we've seen is a really productive um, relationship and collaboration, which is why I think we're meeting those milestones. Minister of Families, Children and Social Development, Karina Gould, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate this. Thanks for having me. Um, on to that other story that we brought you at the top of this newscast. Uh, there are continuing to be calls for Winnipeg's police chief to resign. The Assembly of Manitoba chiefs made the appeal today after the Winnipeg Police Service said it won't search a landfill for the remains of three victims of an alleged serial killer. Now, police chief Danny Smythe said the remains are likely in the Prairie Green landfill, but ruled out a search, citing the amount of time that has already passed. Last week, Winnipeg Police Service charged Jeremy Skubicki with the murders of Morgan Harris, Mercedes Myron, and a woman who has yet to be identified, but has been called by the community Buffalo Woman. Skubicki was arrested in May for the murder of Rebecca Contois. The daughters of Morgan Harris spoke to uh, in Ottawa today. We have been the ones thinking up the different resolutions for this issue, and we should not have to be the ones coming up with ways to make you do your job better. Our women have been discriminated. They have been violated. A lot of racism has been brought upon our women, and it's tragic to say that even in death, they are still discriminated. And we did just hear at the top of this hour that the province and city are pausing operations at the landfill, but the police still aren't organizing a search. So is it time for the federal government to step in? Well, let's find out. Joining me now is Long Plain First Nation Chief Kyra Wilson. Chief Wilson, thank you so much for making the time today. Uh, two of the victims, Morgan Harris and Mercedes Myron, are both members of your community from Long Plain First Nation. How is your community doing right now? You know, there's a, a lot of emotions that, you know, we all have as, as community members and it's a range of emotions. You know, one minute you'll, you'll be upset, one minute you'll be sad, the next you're angry. Uh, so it has been a roller coaster of emotions for many people and we're just really trying to come together as a community right now. To do that, what does your community need? Well, right now, the, the main focus uh, has been mental health supports as well as cultural supports for community. Um, I've just been really trying to support the families right now, uh, support the community. Uh, you know, as soon as we heard, you know, this tragic news, it was really important that, uh, that I was there for, for the families and, and for the community. So it's really just looking at uh, the immediate supports, but then long term, there is uh, a whole range of supports and services that we're needing in our community. Earlier today, you called on Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe to resign over the police service's refusal to search the landfill where they believe Morgan, Mercedes, and the Buffalo woman are. Uh, first, I wanted to ask you, before I ask you about why he should resign, what do you think of what we heard from the Winnipeg mayor and from the premier saying that they're now pausing all of the activity at that landfill? You know, actually, um, it, was, it was really heartfelt, uh, and we were actually really happy to hear uh, about that. We were waiting to uh, meet with the uh, Prime Minister uh, when we did receive that news and the, the family uh, was extremely happy to hear that. 
um, because that means that there is some pro uh, progress, sorry, and, and movement towards, you know, the issues that we've been bringing up. So it was uh, a really beautiful thing uh, that they're doing. And, and now the next step is uh, for the search in the landfill. How much hope do you have that that next step will be taken? Well, I, I know that it's going to happen, whether it is, you know, from the uh, Winnipeg Police Service or if it's coming from our own uh, First Nations communities. Now, I wanted to ask you, because earlier this week, Mark Miller, the um, Crown Indigenous Relations Minister, described the decision to not search it as puzzling. Do you think that the federal government needs to step in here? You know, we all have a role and responsibility to each other. And, and I think that, you know, we have some great allies in the federal government. Uh, obviously, there are more things that need to be done when we talk about the issue of uh, missing and murder Indigenous women and girls. There are 231 calls to uh, justice. Those need to be addressed. But when we look at this particular issue, you know, within Treaty 1, within Winnipeg, uh, you know, if, if we are needing the federal government to support us, uh, I will be calling on them for that. The AFN also heard from Kimberly Murray, she's the special interlocutor to help communities search the remains of children who were forced to attend residential schools. Uh, that the police aren't going to search for those remains, she has said, is like a breach of human dignity. How critical is that message for the federal government and the Winnipeg Police Service? Well, if, if we're not searching for these Indigenous women, you know, what is the message that, that we are sending? You know, not us as First Nations, but as Winnipeg police or, you know, any uh, level of government. If we're not searching for our Indigenous women and we know that they are there, they're in the landfill, you know, that sends a very clear message that Indigenous women do not matter. And that is a, a very horrifying statement to be making. Um, so I'm just hoping that everyone will be able to come together to ensure that this uh, landfill search will happen. For people who may not understand this, Chief, how important is it for the closure of the families and the community to find those remains and to make sure that those women get home? It's extremely important that we bring our women home. You know, we have a connection to each other. You know, whether we're related by blood or not, we have a connection to one another as community members. So when we look at bringing our women home, you know, whatever that looks like, we need to make sure that we're taking care of our, our communities, our families. And when we look at bringing these women home, that's a, a type of closure that, you know, these young girls are needing, our families are needing. And we need to actually have a space where we are going to be able to honor our families when they have passed on to the spirit world. So it's really important that we are bringing our, our women home, our loved ones home. And that's why it's so important that this uh, search in the landfill takes place. When you've been speaking with the federal government here in Ottawa um, throughout the week while you're here at the Assembly of First Nations special um, meetings, uh, have you been satisfied at all with what you're hearing from them um, on this? You know, interestingly enough, uh, 
you know, I, I've been able to uh, talk to several ministers from, you know, different parties, um, talk to different levels of government. And, you know, it's really brought this whole discussion of inaction when it comes to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And so I'm, I'm happy that we're talking about it again, but it's also sad because of the circumstance. Um, but I, I do hope that all uh, levels of government will take action when it comes to uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Two-Spirit. Just before leaving you, I, want, I wanted to pick up on that. How frustrating is it to you that here we are again, 2022, we are having this conversation again um, because it seems like we, it's, it's just not, it's not getting fixed. It actually, um, it, it really hurts my heart, you know, being an Indigenous woman. I have uh, a daughter at home, you know, she is uh, becoming a young, young woman as well. And, and here we are still talking about this issue of how are we going to protect our Indigenous women and girls and Two-Spirit community uh, together as a collective. You know, it, it, it talks to or speaks to, sorry, the uh, protection of, our, of the people in our communities. And that's not just Indigenous communities, that's, you know, to everyone. How are we going to protect our families? And so right now, what we're seeing is that our Indigenous women and girls are being targeted. So we need to all come together to uh, address this issue. Chief Carter Wilson, thank you so much for being here, taking the time, thank you. telling your story, but also advocating for your community. I appreciate this. Thank you so much. Still to come, the Alberta Sovereignty Within the United Kennedy Act is now law in that province. It passed in the middle of the night with significant changes. The press Gallery will be here to dig into those changes as the fallout in Alberta. Power Play, we'll be right back. It sends a signal to the investment community that the uh, government of Alberta is picking instability over certainty at a time of global uncertainty. Um, I've been doing doors constantly in my riding. Nobody's asking for this act. I mean, look, Alberta's going to lead economic growth in this country for the next two to three years. Why would you want to get in the way of that train? So Alberta's Sovereignty Act is passed, but with some major changes. The controversial provision that granted unilateral powers to Premier Daniel Smith and her cabinet to rewrite legislation has been scrapped. Now, the bill was Premier Smith's centerpiece legislation for her new government. It passed in the early hours of Thursday along party lines, 27 to 7. So with the passing of the Sovereignty Act, what can we expect from this new era in Alberta Ottawa Relations, well, let's bring in the Press Gallery panel to weigh in. We have the Globe and Mail's Ian Bailey. He also writes the Globe's Daily Politics Briefing. The Toronto Star's parliamentary reporter, Tonda McCharles, and our special guest, CTV News political analyst, Tom Mulcair. You'll also remember the former leader of the NDP. Thank you all for being here. Tom, let's start with you. Premier Smith had to go back to the drawing table, and ultimately, she scrapped the controversial provision, allowing Cabinet to circumvent legislature and to rewrite the laws. Is, is that enough to quell the concerns from her detractors? 
No, it's not, because essentially what she got rid of doesn't really make the rest of the bill much better. She got rid of the part where she said that cabinet could replace the elected officials in the legislature, and there was no small amount of irony in that, Mike, because, of course, she was saying she wanted Ottawa to stay in its lane, but she was trying to occupy the lane of the elected officials in the Alberta ledge. So that was a non-starter. She finally changed that. But there are other parts of it that manifestly are unconstitutional. The real test is going to come when she tries to do anything with it. And that's why I think that people like Justin Trudeau, Dominique Leblanc, and indeed the NDP in Alberta are pretty wise to hold their fire mostly. They're doing their job as opposition, but they're not taking the bait. Trudeau knows that this thing is a political ploy. And coming from a province where we've been through a lot of these political ploys, through legislation, stating all sorts of things, for example, in response to the Clarity Act, which itself was supposed to be a response to a Supreme Court decision, the smartest people in the room are just going to let this thing stay there. I don't think that she's going to be able to pick up enough steam to take on Rachel Notley because she's right now, she's just showing Albertans that she's all about hot air and positioning herself. I don't think there's enough substance there for anybody to really be worried about. So Tonda, is that what the federal government does here? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his cabinet sit back and wait until Alberta looks like they're encroaching on federal territory? I think that they've already signaled that's the plan, right? They don't want to start fights that they that they don't need to have right mm -hmm. now with Alberta or with uh, Premier Smith. And I think that you haven't seen anyone else in the federal legislature jump into that pool either, right? Like the NDP, the Bloc. Uh, well, actually, they got some tacit support from the yeah. Bloc because the yeah. Bloc said, fill your boots. If you want to approach sovereignty, sovereignty Alberta, way, we're, we're with right you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You go. Um, but you don't see the Conservatives, you don't see the NDP all leaping on this as sort of, you know, this is something Ottawa should take the charge on. Uh, I think in reality, in any event, um, to see how it would be applied, it's now in law, uh, mm -hmm. to see how it would be applied is key, right? That's the test and that's what everyone will be waiting for. And Ian, is everybody also waiting for the election in May? Is that one of the sort of the key markers as well here? Yeah, they certainly are. It's a long time to wait, obviously. That's five months from now for the mm. Prime Minister avoiding a fight with the Alberta government. <laughs> uh, and that may be a bit of a challenge, but uh, look, the Alberta legislature is rising, uh, I think, December 22nd. We're having issues with your mic. Give me a second. We'll come back to you. I mean, picking up on, on that, Tonda, it's, it's a long time to wait, but at the same time, um, you know, we have the break in the winter and, and whatnot. They have to keep their powder dry. Mm, yeah, no, it's it's actually not that long to wait. And, you know, the, the, the Alberta Premier and the UCP is positioning itself, but she's had to struggle already facing dissent within her own party, right? So this is not a clear runway for her into that election. Mm -hmm. She's already grappling with former uh, rivals of her own um, in the leadership race within the party challenge, who challenged her and forced her to back down on this piece of legislation. So, no, like, uh, I think that it's not a long runway. And I think that, uh, I think that, as Tom Mulcair said, you know, the feds would be wise to sort of wait and see how she positions it. Yeah. And uh, before we come back to Ian, I do, I do not know. Ian, give me, give me a five count just to make sure we got your microphone. One, two, three, four, five. Somebody signal me. Are we good to go to Ian? Are we good? Before I go to Tom? So, not good. Okay. So, Tom, we're going to bring you back in. Uh, trust me, Ian's got good points. We're going to get to them in a second. Uh, so, Tom, is this ordeal proving to be an opportunity for uh, Rachel Notley? I think it is. Notley, of course is an Alberta gal. You know, like she, when she was at the head of the parade during the stampede, 
you knew she was very much at home on that horse. She wasn't somebody play acting. She was that person. Her dad was a key player, of course, in Alberta politics. She knows it's her province. She loves it. Nobody can ever try to paint her in a corner as being, you know, somebody who's bringing in ideas from Ottawa. She is really Alberta true, true blue. Now, at the same time, what have we seen uh, from Danielle Smith? She's obviously trying to stake out some turf where no rational person can follow her because she 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 turned all of her leadership opponents into roadkill. She's a, a redoubtable politician. But when she goes this far on something that makes no sense, it's true. People in the business community, the chambers of commerce, people across the province are saying, what indeed is this about? Now they're going through everything she said when she was on the radio and there were some unseemly things about more seeming to be more on Putin's side than on the Ukrainian side. And you should look at the demographics. There are hundreds of thousands of people in Western Canada with, you know, Ukrainian roots, including lots of them in Alberta, in particular around Edmonton. She, she might want to think re, think that one through again. So she's controversial. She likes the controversy. She, she has not played it well, though, and I don't think it's going to work out for her. We've got two minutes left. We're going to give it all to Ian because he hasn't been able to speak yet. Ian, just fill your boots, man. Well, what do you got to say on this one? Well, what I'd say, looking at some polling in Alberta, I mean, um, this election, this election in May will be decided on issues about the economy and health care and probably won't be decided on this, uh, on the Sovereignty Act. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the Prime Minister has indicated that he's going to play it cool and um, it's going to be a long time to play it cool. And we'll have to see how the Alberta government uses this legislation, probably, I Assume not this week or next week, maybe early in January. We'll see how it plays out, and that'll see. That'll sort of indicate if the, this this cool strategy will work. We saw today um, a prime minister was challenged at the uh, First Nations meeting in Ottawa on that approach of kind of uh, you know trying to be cool about it, trying right. not to pick a fight, as he puts it. So we'll see how long he can avoid picking any kind of. Fight can on he this. avoid one if Danielle Smith purposely goes to pick one? That's going to be really interesting to see. I guess you'll have to decide based on the nature of the fight that is being picked. Right. On the specifics of it. He'll have to, and this government will have to decide uh, on uh, whether they want to go for it. Uh, Tourism Minister Randy Boissano, the only cabinet minister in Alberta, one of two MPs. I mean, he's also embracing this kind of uh, cold, cool, not cold, but uh, sedate restrained yeah, approach he, as well. He seems like he is tr being almost the bulldog for the, the cabinet here, Ian, in terms of, uh, you know, pushing back on this. Yeah. Is that the right play? Let the prime minister stay above the fray, let Randy Boissonneau potentially handle it, and then hope that you don't have Danielle Smith really trying to stick her finger in the eye, so to speak. I think that's probably an interesting approach, but also he's, he's not being tough. He's being blunt. But he's not, uh, he's not looking for a fight. He's being emphatic in his uh, rhetoric and his comments on this. But he's not, all, he's not like pushing back. Well, he's pushing back, but he's not looking right. for a fight, it seems, as well. And, of course, the uh, prime minister speak, spoke today before cabinet, and Mr. Bosno, Minister Bosno is right there thereafter to sort of, uh, you know, embellish on some of the, Mr. Trudeau's remarks on this. I've got about 20 seconds. Do you think that the prime minister can... Can sort of hold it for them? It depends on what they do. If it's, yeah. if it's, depends on where Daniel Smith a, pushes. If Daniel Smith makes a blatant political play to provoke a reaction, that will be obvious, I think. Right. And so it does depend. Are they going to use it to, for example, uh, cancel the effect of some health law in, mm, in right. Alberta? That would make a big difference. Uh, it, it, what it's about will make a big difference. Tom McCharles, Ian Bailey, thank God we got your microphone <laughs> working again. Tom Mulcair, thank you for buying some time for us there, Tom. We appreciate that. We'll talk Pleasure, to you again right. soon. 
that is your Power Play Day in Politics. Thank you for spending your time with us. We will be right back here tomorrow. Until then, have a great night, everyone.